Reverend Eads, I like that. That was kind of fun. Reverend. Hmm. I wonder if I fit the bill. We'll see what happens. Hey, um, if you are an adult and you came in and you didn't receive a card, and thanks to C2C for printing these out for me for the, for the service this morning, and you didn't receive a piece of construction paper, you're supposed to have one of those, and our, and our, our ushers are ready to get them out to you if you haven't. So if you'll just indicate to them that you haven't received that, that would be beautiful, and they're going to help you out. Thank you, thank you for doing that. Don't we love our ushers and don't we love our worship team? How about Mark Anthony playing the guitar, having a busted string, taking the string off nicely, rolling it up, putting it in his pocket while he's, reading, while he's leading worship. It amazes me. There's times I text him while he's in the drum cage and he texts me back while he's drumming. I don't know how he does these things, but he, he does them. Um, and as Pastor Mark mentioned um, before I get into the sermon, I want to I, I give a couple personal updates because last time I preached, I told you all that my son was part of a church plant in Sandy Springs and they kind of been booted out of their location. Um, but they are in a, a new location, River Chase um, International Charter School. It's a very nice school where they're meeting. This past Sunday, they had 400 people at church. Um, so we're very grateful that the church is growing. And um, interesting enough, my son happens to be preaching this morning. So it's actually the first time that we have were simultaneously preaching at two different locations at two different churches. So it was kind of um, um, kind of fun. He's been sending me texts, go, 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 pops. We want to see a lot of people saved. And just it's been really good to have fun with him about that. Um, and also uh, my mother, who's 92 years of age, um, on Friday night they... Uh, moved her to hospice. Um, this will be, she was, this is in the hospice of Golden Isle. She's been on hospice care before. She graduated out of hospice care once before, six months. They kicked her out. The nurses came and said, you've, you know, you're, you're not demising. We have to kick you out. She's like, what? You, you, where, what do you mean I can't be in hospice anymore? So she was all upset about that. Um, and, um, you know, the doctors are saying there's nothing more she can do. Um, they can do. The, her kidneys are failing. Her heart's failing. And uh, she doesn't want to, she, she wants to see her, her, her next great-grandchild, Magnolia. She doesn't want to miss all that stuff. But um, anyway, I appreciate your prayer for my mom and my family, my, my brothers and sisters. I've got five of them. She's got 20, I think it was 22 grandchildren, 17 great-grandchildren with Magnolia Lee on the way, and two great-great-grandchildren. So um, we're grateful. For her, grateful for the blessing she's been. Uh, one of my lost members, uh, one, one of my lost family members came and visited yesterday and she said to him, have you surrendered to Jesus? And, you know, he's, he said, I, I got beliefs, Grandma. He said, she said, no, 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 no. Beliefs ain't gonna get it. Have you surrendered to Jesus? So just very proud of my mom, even um, in hospice care, um, sharing the gospel. And that's the subject of our, 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 our message today, praying for the lost, um, no matter the cost. But Pastor Mark mentioned um, that today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I don't know if you realize this, but on January 22nd, 1973, 50 years ago today, our Supreme Court um, had the Roe versus Wade decision that, legal, that basically struck down all the laws in the states and made legal, of, legal abortion across the United States of America, and since then over 67 million abortions have been uh, performed. And it was in 1980, and Pastor Mark mentioned this is the St. Human Life Sunday, it was in 1984 when President Rod, Ronald Reagan um, 
proclaimed the Sunday closest to January 22nd as the Saint of Human Life Sunday. And he made this proclamation. And I just think that his, these words from 1984 are as poignant today as they were um, back in 1984. And I, if you don't mind, I'd like to read this declaration that he made on, on January 13th, 19, 1984. He said, the, and I, 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 I almost hate reading it because I can't read it like Ronald Reagan would read it, that Ronald Reagan, he was just such a great orator. But anyway, I'll do my best. Uh, The values and freedoms we cherish as Americans rest on our fundamental commitment to the sanctity of human life. The The first of the inalienable rights affirmed by the Declaration of Independence is the right to life itself. A right the Declaration states has been endowed by our Creator on all human beings, whether young or old, weak or strong, healthy or handicapped. Since 1973, however, more than 15 million unborn children have died in legalized abortions, a tragedy of stunning dimensions that stands in sad contrast to our belief that each life is sacred. These children, over tenfold the number of Americans lost in all of our nation's war, will never laugh, never sing, never experience the joy of human love, nor will they strive to heal the sick or, or feed the poor or make peace among nations. Abortion has denied them the first and most basic of human rights and we are infinitely poorer for their loss. We are poorer not simply for the lives not led and for contributions not made, but also for the erosion of our sense of worth and dignity of every individual. To diminish the value of one category of human life is to diminish all of us. Slavery, which treated black Americans as something less than human, to be bought and sold if convenient, cheapened human life and mocked our dedication to the freedom and equality of all men and women. Can we say that abortion, which treats the unborn as something less than human, to be destroyed if convenient, will be less corrosive to the values we hold dear. We've been given the precious gift of human life, made more precious still by our births and our pilgrimages to a land of freedom. It is fitting then, on the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade that struck down state anti-abortion laws, that we reflect anew on these blessings and on our corresponding responsibility to guard with care the lives and freedoms of even the weakest of our fellow human beings. Now, therefore, I, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim Sunday, January 22nd, 1984, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. In witness whereof, I hereunto set my hands this 13th day of January in the year of our Lord, 1984, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 208th, President Ronald Reagan. Pastor Mark also mentioned that You know, we had the joy of 
the Dobbs decision in June that reversed those decisions. And now there are 24 states in our nation that, that honor the sanctity of human life. And, and because of that, we've, we've seen a, a 95% decrease in abortion in those states. We, unfortunately, we've seen an 11% increase in the other 26 states where abortion is not restricted. In the few months since June 24th, where there, there are estimates of over 11,000 less abortions per month in the United States. And um, I'm very grateful. But the word of God clearly says that life is, is sacred and, and that we must do something about it. And one of my favorite scriptures about this is Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, that says, For thou dost form my inward parts. God himself formed our inward parts. Thou dost weave me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. As far as God's concerned, life is sacred that God's got a plan for every life. Before they were even conceived, he had a plan for every life. And I'm not here to harm anyone who's had an abortion in the past. We want you to be healed and whole, but we want people to recognize that life is sacred. And we're grateful for, Skylar, grateful for this church. Many of you have been involved from the very beginning. Didi was on our original steering committee. Um, just many of you guys have been involved the Owens were involved. I mean, people were involved. People supported. This church is supported from the very beginning of Skylark. I'm very grateful. Um, and I myself, I was challenged on, a, on another Saintly of Human Life Sunday back in 1987. I was challenged by a pastor, Richard Exley, who made this statement. He said, we are pro-life by conviction, but pro-choice by default. And what he meant by that was that many Christians believe that life is sacred, believe what the word of God says, but do absolutely nothing. And those words have echoed in my heart, it's indelibly written in my heart, that I'm to do something to protect and help people to recognize the value of unborn life. And that same pastor that Sunday morning, he said, if life is sacred, should it be protected? And what do you think? If life is sacred, should it be protected? Yeah. Why? Well, the, the reason why is because God has a plan. God has a plan for each sacred life. And because each sacred life has a purpose, this also leads me to my subject matter this morning, that we must pray for the lost. Because those lost individuals, those people that don't know Jesus, are sacred lives whom God has a plan for, but they don't know it yet. So... Because, God's, because living out God's plan for life is the greatest gift ever, we should pray for the lost. We value the lost who are the born, unborn, created in the image and likeness of God. If we're not careful, like Pastor Richard Exley said, we're pro-life by conviction but pro-choice by default, we can be pro-lost pro -lost by conviction, but no lost by default. In other words, we can believe the lost need to be saved, but if we do nothing, Jesus recognizes we have an issue here. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter nine, in other words, he recognizes, he's recognized from 
when he was walking on the earth that we as people have a problem with praying for the lost. Because in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, he said, he said this to his disciples. He said, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful. The lost are, are out there. They're ready to be saved. But the laborers are few. And so therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. So Jesus made this prayer request that we're to pray for the lost. Pray for those to be going out into the harvest to reach the lost. Jesus is asking us to pray for workers to reach out to the harvest of lost people. To pray for the lost at all cost. The lost are important to him. He literally gave his life for them. And so he's inviting us to join him in praying for the lost. And so as I was preparing this message and kind of praying through this message, I, I, became, I, I, I kind of came across three action steps that I think that can help us to make sure that we're praying for the lost. And the first one is we need to pray against the enemy's desire to have them. According to John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy of our soul has a mission statement. And his mission statement is that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And without Jesus, anyone who's lost, that he will fulfill his mission, that he will kill them, destroy them. He will steal that abundant life from him, that Jesus, that's his abundant, that's his, his mission is that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So we want to pray against the enemy's desire to have them. One of the greatest weapons God has given us in this fight is to pray. Like Christ prayed for Peter. You remember this in Luke chapter 22? In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he said this. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So um, Jesus gave us an example here of praying that the enemy of our soul would not be able to sift or take the soul of a, of a believer or of an unbeliever here. So we want to pray against the enemy's desire to have them. We want to stand strong against the enemy because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy the lost. Number two, we want to pray specific scripture over their life for a change in their heart. We want to pray specific scripture over their life for a change in their heart. Even if a person wants nothing to do with truth and hates the word of God and hates God himself, they can do nothing to stop us from praying scripture over them. But will we be faithful to do that? That's the question that has to be answered. Will we pray for the lost no matter the cost? This is a mighty weapon that God has given us to be able to pray his word over the lost. So here's a, here's a great example. Um, Psalm 18, 16 through 19. There was a family that was committed to pray this over their daughter because their daughter 
was lost. And they saw the fruit of the scripture coming forward. It says this, Psalm 18, verse 16 through 19. Sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What if we prayed that over the friends that we know that are lost? Romans 10.1, how about this one? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer, for God, prayer to God is for them is that they will be saved. This was Paul's prayer for Israel that they would be saved. Um, he prayed for their salvation. He didn't pray for ineffectual influences, but he prayed for effectual influences in their life. And this is how we should pray. How about Ezekiel 11.19? And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. What if we prayed that for the lost? What about Deuteronomy 36? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So it's not just them, but also their offspring. So that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all um, that, that they may live. What if we pray at Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 over the lost? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What if we just started committing to pray, praying the word of God over lost people? They can't do anything about it. They can't stop us. They have no defense over us praying the word of God over them. Now on your card I gave you, I, I put these last five um, scriptures on here just to be, again, an opportunity for you to put this somewhere. It could be a reminder to you. Um, and we want to ask the Father to draw them to Jesus. That's John 6, 44. No one could come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. What if we pray that over the lost? What if we start binding the spirits that bind their minds? In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in, the case, in their case, the God of this world had blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What if we bound that spirit, we began to pray that over? They, have, they, they can't stop us from doing that. We could pray this over the lost. Um, what if we pray that they that they may have a personal relationship with God. In Romans 8, 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons for whom they cry, Abba, Father. What if we prayed that for the lost? They have no defense. They can't stop us. What if we prayed um, for believers to cross their paths? Matthew 9, 38, which I already brought forward. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest that the Lord would send Christ followers into their path, okay? Um, I don't know about you. 
I've got some close family members. I just mentioned one of them that doesn't know Jesus. And so I've done everything. I feel like I've done everything I could do. And I, that's what I'm praying. I'm praying for other believers to speak into their hearts and into their minds and their spirit so they'll be open to the gospel and receive the gospel, right? Um, and then uh, what if we pray for the release of spirit of wisdom and revelation on them so that they may know God better? Ephesians 1.17, we could pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We could pray that over the lost. What if we made a commitment to pray these scriptures over the lost? What if we prayed and just didn't even think about the cost of doing that. In other words, we did it at all cost. And I think like Jesus, I think, I think the church has kind of lost this. And I'll go and say, I think our church has kind of lost this. I'll be bold in saying this. And I'm, I want to inspire you there's lost people out there. I've given you an opportunity to write down 10 names of lost people on the back of this card. That's what's on the back. To pray for them. And if your first thought is, I don't know 10 lost people, that underlies the problem. That's like bold face underlying the problem. If we don't know 10 people that we can list that are lost. Patrick, you're judging me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just straying straight up what I think is a problem in our church. We don't care for the lost. If we, do, if we did, we'd do everything we could. We would do everything it took to make sure they were here. We would pray like Pray like their lives depended upon it because their lives do depend upon us praying for them. The change may not be immediate, but I think if we pray for the lost, the change will occur. And the change may not happen and you see it. Um, you may be familiar with George Mueller who was a pastor that, that helped over 10,000 orphans in England. And he had several people that he prayed for until his death that did not come to Christ. But at his funeral, several of them did. Let's pray these scriptures over the lost. Let's, let's make a list of the lost. And if we don't have the 10 that we need, let's make the effort to meet some people that are lost so we could pray for them. The third action step, pray for a heart of brokenness no matter the earthly cost. Pray for a heart of brokenness no matter the earthly cost. Each of us has a place that we reach the bottom of our barrel or a place of brokenness. This is, a, this is hard because some are more stubborn and some are hardened and some are calloused and some are just 
broken and don't know they're broken. So when I say pray for the heart of brokenness, no matter the earthly cost, no matter the earthly cost might be pretty scary if you think about it. You know, if you think about someone you know and you're praying that they come to the end of themselves no matter the cost, it might be pretty scary. And what's, what happens sometimes is we're tempted then to rescue someone before they reach that point of brokenness. We're tempted to rescue someone before they reach that point of brokenness. Because brokenness can be messy. Brokenness can be hard. Brokenness can be difficult for us to accept the full brokenness that someone needs in order for them to come to the Lord. But I thought this action step was just a phenomenal encouragement to us as the church to pray. To pray for the heart of brokenness, no matter the earthly cost. Whether we want to rescue or not, we need to let them get to a place of brokenness. I remember how the Lord broke me. Um, I want to try to quickly say this. Uh, in eighth grade, um, my, my mentality was I was just going to be the most popular kid in school. And I remember specifically in eighth grade when Lucy Kaufman, who was a straight-A student, looked back at me and said, you want to be a big shot, don't you? Which was a popular song by Billy Joel at the time. I'm thinking, yeah, I want to be a big shot. But I'm going from a small Catholic school, St. Francis, to Glen Academy. And you have to do a whole lot of, and if you're going to be popular in school, you got you to be popular with all the different groups of kids. And you got to do everything you can to be popular with everything. But I was scared to do some of the things because my daddy, my daddy warned me. If I drink alcohol, he'd kill me. And I believed him. My daddy warned me if I do drugs, he'd kill me. And, and, and I believed him. My, my dad warned me about all this stuff. And, I was, and, I, and I, I was the kid who always got caught. And I knew that if whatever I did, I'd get caught. So that meant I had to fake you know, like if I went to a, I'd go to parties where there was drinking, I'd have to fake that I was drinking with them because otherwise I wouldn't fit in with that crowd. So I'd fake it. I'd grab a beer, I'd walk around with a beer, I'd pour it in the sink in the bathroom and make like I drank the beer. I'd pretend. But it's what you had to do to be popular. And you have to, you have to, you have to um, be about 16 different people in order to keep all these different groups of people happy with you so you can be popular. And um, some people were starting to share Christ with me. And for those that have been here for a while, you may know that on Sea Island, they used to do what was called a Sea Island dance. And they'd invite all of us, not Sea Island people, to go over there and dance in their little casino thing so that the people that were on Sea Island could have somebody to dance with, right? <laughs> and you may not know, I've got a little gymnastics in my background. This was the disco era, so I could do some disco splits. I won't do one today. My last one was 1994. <laughs> I knew that that was the end in 1994. 
but I had a good run, 1976-ish to 1984. So I'd go to those dances. I could pick out any girl, do a couple disco splits, do a backflip, and they'd do these dance contests. And if you got the loudest, they had a little meter that showed how long people were clapping. And if you got the loudest, you know, you got the, if your meter pegged, you won the dance contest. So yeah, it was something. And so there I was doing a dance contest. They got, I won the big surprise, big, big, big prize that night. Usually I would drive my sisters and her friends to the Sea Island dance, but this night was a night like no other. I was by myself. I won the big prize. They would give you records that they don't use anymore that were scratched up and nasty as the big, I found that out when I played it that night, that it was a sorry record. But I threw that in my little beetle bug on the passenger side of the car. I'm driving home from Sea Island. And I thought to myself, man, you are really something. You won tonight. And you got a record. And all of a sudden it hit me. How terrible that that's the goal of your life. How terrible that that's the, the big hoorah of who you are. And, I'm just, and the Holy Spirit just hit me and I began to bawl like I've never bawled in my life. And I pulled my car over at um, whatever that neighborhood's called on the right as you're leaving St. Simon's. And I just cried. My mom, I got home, my mom said, what's, what's up with you? I said, I can't explain it. She said, your girlfriend broke up with you? No, I don't have a girlfriend right now. And it was the beginning of me recognizing that my purpose was not my purpose for my life. But God had a greater purpose for my life. And it took about six months more of people sharing the gospel with me before um, December 19th, 1982, when I surrendered my life to Christ. Now, I'm grateful. That was my point of brokenness. Some of y'all have had it a whole lot harder. Mark, I know you have yourself. I'm grateful I didn't have to endure what you endured. But I'm grateful that you endured what you did and the Lord is using your life the way he's using your life. Brokenness makes people uncomfortable. But this is what we need to pray for the lost. Jesus said it this way. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I love how Pastor Ligon used to say that. He says, blessed are those who know their need of God. You don't know your need of God until you're broken. And I pray this is always my position, that I always know my need of God, Right? And it may be that we need a heart of brokenness. No matter the earthly cost. Because we may not want the lost to be saved. You may not want a specific person to be saved. I know it because I've witnessed it before. Hurt. Traumatic events, pain, loss, unforgiveness hardens our hearts 
to the lost and specific people that are lost. So it may be that we've got to be broken for the lost. And as I've been praying for this this week, I've said, Lord, I don't want to be broken for the lost. Jesus put it this way. He said to you in Luke 6, 27 and 28, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. They count as the lost. (laughs) Jesus said this as he was dying. And when they came to the place they called the skull, they were crucified and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide the garments. And you might be saying, well, that was Jesus. You know, that was Jesus. I mean, that fully God, fully man. I mean, he doesn't expect me to be that way. I mean, I'm human. Well, let me give you a human example. In Acts chapter seven, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, as they were killing Stephen, as they were killing Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Jesus tells us a parable about a woman who came to the judge and kept asking the judge for favor. She was persistent. In Luke 18, one through eight. Have we lost our persistence for the lost? The lost need us not to give up on them. The lost need our prayer. So just, let's, can we take these action steps? Pray against the enemy's desire to have them. Pray specific scripture over the life for the, a change in their heart. and Pray for a heart of brokenness, no matter the earthly cause. Jesus is calling us to, lo- to love the lost enough to pray for the harvest. I also think Jesus is calling us to be the answer to that prayer. And I want to be an answer to that prayer. And I hope you want to be an answer to that prayer. When he said in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is calling us to faithfully share the gospel with the lost. In his vision for the church, he wants people to know God. He wants them to find freedom. He wants them to discover purpose and make a difference. At Skylark, for the last 30 years, I get the privilege of teaching people how to share the gospel, new volunteers. Matter of fact, if you ever thought about coming along and helping us at Skylark, we've got a training coming up in two weeks. We'd love for you to be there.
And I've been using the same illustration for 30 years and I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me to use this illustration with you all. Um, the last time I did a training, every time I do a training, I give out, before I do the gospel part about sharing the gospel, I, I give out construction paper, I give out scissors, and I give out tape to all the participants, and I ask them to make a chain like this. This is the chain from the last class. Sorry, Adrian, I took it from the ceiling. And um, the chain represents people's journey to salvation. Um, I told you that it was like a six-month process. Paul Spence was the first one to try, to try to get me to hear anything about Jesus. I remember him sharing with me. But there was people all along this chain that shared with me until December 19, 1982, when Kelly Talamo um, helped me to surrender my life to Christ. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with people. We have an opportunity to be some of those people that are out there that are part of reaching out to the harvest. We all want to be, you know, as Christians, we all want to have this one little link where they finally surrender. But the privilege is all along this chain. I'm so grateful that Paul Spence reached out to me. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I was, I was very ugly to him on several occasions when he tried to reach out to me. People in high school, Craig Tatum, Wendy Winky, were part of the people that reached out to me. There are all these different people and, and the Holy Spirit was using them because people were praying for me. I know my mom was praying for me even though she's kind of upset that I'm not in the Catholic Church but she was praying for me. I gave you a link to a chain. And I know this is different, but I'm gonna invite you to take some action today and be part of a chain up here as an action point of you saying, I'm willing to be somebody's link. That's why I gave you the the um, pieces of construction paper. I like for us to end the service by making a chain. I know that's weird. I'm just trying to be obedient. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? And if you wouldn't mind taking out that piece of construction paper, because I think the construction paper, to me, the construction paper is a visible Visible, it's a, it's a palpable symbol of a commitment. Is, is why, why, that, that's what I'm trying to get here. It's a palpable, this is kind of like I want to be part of someone's salvation experience and be part of someone's chain. And so what I want to do, I want to pray for you. And if you're willing to, come forward and be part of the chain that we're just going to make one giant chain here. Um. Is that okay? And then um, if you want prayer beyond that, I know that we're prepared to pray for you about other issues. Pastor Mark, I don't know what else you want to do. I know this is weird. I'm sorry. This is just, wow, I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me and guiding me, and I'm just going to do it. So here we go. So may we pray? 
Father, the church doesn't have a heart for the lost. I'm just going to say it. We don't. If we did, we'd do everything we could, and we don't. We, we don't do everything we could. We, do, we, haven't, we haven't done everything it takes at all costs for the lost, Lord. We haven't done it. But we want to. And so, Lord, I thank you for moving in our hearts today that you would take these words that were spoken today that you gave me to share and that you would use them to your glory in our lives today, that we would not only pray for the lost, but we would be part of someone's salvation experience as well. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. Lord, if there's people that have hurt us and we're unwilling to pray for them, Lord, bring us to a place of brokenness today. I'm not saying that we'll do something that breaks trust or whatever, that we would just be willing to recognize that they're created in the image of God, that God's got a plan for them. They're walking outside of that plan. They may have done ugly, 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 unforgivable things, but Lord, you love them and want them to be in your kingdom. And Lord, we're gonna choose today, we're gonna choose today to pray for that lost person. We're gonna put them on the back of our list today. And we're gonna be faithful to pray for them. Lord, help us to do that by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for the great, as we do this, Lord, I thank you for many souls that will be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and right here in church with us together. And Lord, I pray that this, this revival, this awakening of praying for the lost will bring forth the fruit that you desire New people in the kingdom, new people freshly saved, new people filled with the Holy Spirit, new people discovering you and walking out the plan that you have for their life. I thank you for your grace and mercy in that. I thank you for using this opportunity to help us to be faithful in that in Christ's name, amen. So I invite you, if you wanna be part of the chain, we'll link these things together somehow.